This is Purple Radio On Demand. <laughs> Many months since our last episode, after more lockdowns you can shake a stick at, a US presidential election, a whole global pandemic, and one presenter transferred out, Gone Too Far is back. The football podcast that sneers at seriousness and fondly recalls a discussion about penis biting as its best broadcasting moment, leading you through the next 40 minutes or so of your life alongside me. He's the mic to my basset, it's Luke Power. Well, yeah, I am Luke Power, and you're the Bassett to my Mike. Why, why did you pick Mike Bassett, by the way? He's just, it's the vibe, you know, the vibe that you give off. You're very much that England manager that would just trundle us through to a semi-final by playing 4-4-2. Well, hopefully you're a familiar voice to all of the listeners, because you, you are, of course, the resplendent Josh Nickel in your 1990s England kit. However, we have also dipped into the transfer market and uh, freshened up the dressing room. We've been backed by some corrupt oil money from some far-off exotic land, some billionaire prince who's taken a fancy to this big-time, enduringly popular podcast. And they're quite high-profile signings. So first of all, James Reed. How are you, James? I'm very good, Luke. Thank you very much. I think my internet was slightly dodgy there. But uh, yeah, for your uh, for your, all your platitudes towards me, you, uh, you're far too kind. Yeah, no, he's a wonderful young man. And what inspired you to get into football, James? Well, it all started. Uh, it all started many moons ago in uh, in Central Bedfordshire, over the border at Alsley Town. Probably my first uh, memories. I only used to make it to half time, I think, on the promise of a uh, a plate of chips and a, an apple tango. Uh, you know, rings in the ring, keep, that's the memory in the mind. Uh, but then swiftly moved on to the uh, the riches of Stevenage. Uh, where I've been a loyal fan for a, a good 15 years now, as we languish at the bottom of League Two. That, that is true loyalty. Of course, Liverpool fans like me and James don't actually have to understand uh, that sort of issue. And I did just say James because very conveniently for the listeners, we've gone out and been very confusing and brought in another James, this time James Gascoigne, fondly known as Gazza. How, how are you, James? Uh, I'm great, thank you. Uh, hello, everyone. Thank you for getting me on. It's a pleasure to be here. And do you go by Gaza? Is that how we should all refer uh, to you? In, Gaza, in Gaz, anything. Gas going. I'll take anything, honestly. Anything goes. And then um, what, what inspires you about football? Uh, well, my earliest memory of football, they used to have footballing parties at the local uh, York City Stadium, through the present town, which unfortunately is being torn down as we speak and for a lovely five pound contribution you could get a tour of the changing rooms the bathrooms the toilets and the very subpar stadium that they have you didn't used to have to tour the changing rooms while the players were getting undressed did you uh luckily not i think there would be some child safeguarding issues there (laughs) (laughs) probably now josh before you take one of these uh, ladies out on a date there's something you should know is that one of these got a red card just two minutes after getting subbed on? Would you like to hazard a guess who that might be? Uh, whoever it is, they're a man after my own heart. I love a, a, a big, strong challenge just after you come on the pitch. Um, I, I, th- I think it's Reedy, you know. Oh, why? Reedy, 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 strikes me as a, Reedy strikes me as a bad boy. I'm not, I'm not delving into that. Up, no, I mean, I'm not I've, delving into I've, it. I've, I've been sent off twice. 
but never after two minutes, unfortunately. I've managed to, it was a, you know, I managed to sort of, it was more of a meaningful contribution, I'd argue. That means it's Gaza. It was me, yes. Uh, Half time, wasn't getting played at all, quite frustrated on the wet, uh, rainy, windy uh, Sunday evening. Got subbed on finally, lost my head, kicked a bloke, red card. Uh, walked into the general rooms. My dad met me there, wasn't very happy with me and uh, never been sent off again in my life. Very similar uh, thing that happened, happened to me. Uh, one of my mates where I was, I was playing football um, got sent off and then I got subbed on as a replacement at, at left back. And my first challenge could have easily been a, could have easily been a red. The guy just skipped past me. I just need him in the back of the leg as he went past us. Um, didn't even get a yellow card for it. Oh well, <laughs> I wasn't so lucky. I think I did it right in front of the ref. No escaping for me. Probably pretty lucky that uh, I'm separated by 4G Wi-Fi technology as we speak of this. Do we want to get into some actual? Uh, professional football now, because the listeners are probably thinking, well, these guys, they're up to no good. They can't possibly be professional footballers. And the listeners would be right. Um, however, uh, we do have quite an interesting... How about you kick us off, Josh? You set the ball rolling. Well, we'd be, we'd be talking about um, escapes, um, escapes from t- tackles, really. Uh, and people have been lucky to escape from tackles, um, certainly on... on the receiving end of Gazas, they would be lucky to to get out of get out of that. And there's been a lot of talk recently as well. Um, there has been a pandemic going on, if if people hadn't noticed, and people are starting to get vaccinated. People are starting to become immune from this. My question to my question to the lovely lovely panel that we've got is: Is Sam Allardyce immune from relegation? Can he keep West Brom up? Will he ever get relegated? And where can I get this vaccine against relegation? Well, I look at this last night. Because um, obviously Big Sam has the reputation of never being relegated. And he saved, I mean, particularly when he saved Sunderland, I think, uh, a few years ago, where it seemed completely impossible. Um, and, you know, I think there's definitely a chance it will do it again. I think purely based off of the weak, there's a lot of weak teams in the league this year. Um, the, the pandemic has obviously, the season started later so the games are more close together so obviously I think there's definitely the quality has been brought down you've been able to see we've seen a few more fluke results this year um, West Brom picking up points uh, against Liverpool and sort of uh, smaller teams taking points off the big teams where even no matter how big a squad you've got um, the pandemic is taking its toll and actually you can nick that that odd point or the three points um, away from home or even at um, you know against some of the big clubs and actually Big Sam's often better at that than uh, than anything else, really. What what do you think? What do you think's the reason behind that, really? I think I mean he's got a reputation for being very well drilled as a manager. You know, I think um, even back to the the Bolton and Blackburn days, it were, they were very well drilled sides. Obviously, when you think of Bolton, that Bolton side, you often think of JJ Acocher and um, Kevin Davis and Kevin Nolan. But I mean, it was a very had a pretty good back back four, back five. Uh, good old Yussi Yaskalainen back in the day. And I think that's something that you've seen with um, with West Brom already. I mean, that performance against Liverpool is the one that stands out, really, is very, very solid defensively against Man City as well. Um, you can really drill a side to just sort of not park the bus as such, but to play to its, to play to its strengths 
Um, I suppose the the worry really is the goals. Where where are the goals coming from for West Brom? Um, they're averaging about uh, 0.66 xG per 90, which is, I mean, dismally low. Who really plays up front for them of note? I mean, Carlin Grant is inexperienced in the Premier League at best. Uh, Charlie Austin has just gone to QPR. So I suppose unless they can get a striker in um, in January, you do have to worry that ultimately, you know, the defence can be as well drilled as you want, but you do need to score goals. I get when uh, he said it was Sunderland, obviously Jermaine Defoe banged them in for him. And so I think my worry for, for West Brom really is where are the goals coming from? I would agree with that to some extent. But I'd also say that, yeah, he likes to drill his defence to work properly and the, the two banks before the 4-4-2, very classic Sam Allardyce formation. But some of the plays he's got in that back line, you've got an ageing Ivanovic, you've got an ageing Livermore. I know he plays just in front of them, but it is, is his job to get back. And then you've got Kieran Gibbs as well. All of these players are, you know, long past their best. And it'd be very hard to get these players and draw them into playing the Sam Allardyce formation. But I think Pereira seems to be in good form. The uh, two goals against Wolves and then the goal against West Ham during the week. He seems to be a, a well, a decent Brazilian flair player up front. So it'd be interesting to see if his form can improve, especially with Gallagher coming back in behind him. Yeah, I, I don't think this West Brom team, to be honest, bears any of the hallmarks of an Allardyce team at the moment. I know he, he only joined in December. But we just look back to that first game against Aston Villa. You know, the, the saviour marches in and within five minutes, he sat there grumpily in the seat. They'd already conceded and thinking this is probably a very monumental task. And I think this is going to be the biggest challenge that Allardyce has ever faced. People talk about, oh, he saved Sunderland. He joined Sunderland in October after eight games. He, he's coming to this in December, right in the thick of things. Uh, James Reid, I see your hand has flown up into the air. Have you got something to come in and say? Yeah, I was going to say, I think if, I was, uh, I think if we're all betting men, um, then I think most people would argue that Newcastle, are, uh, sorry, not Newcastle, West Brom, um, are gonna, would probably go down. I think it's probably between six clubs. If we were sort of looking at who's going to go down, I think Sheffield United are probably gone. Are we all in agreement? I mean, Sheffield United are gone. Yeah, completely. Um, and then you've got Newcastle, Brighton, Fulham and Burnley. And I think West Brom are probably def- certainly in the weaker three of those. So, yeah, I think, you know, as much as I've extolled his virtues, I think there's, he's definitely got an uphill battle. Yeah, they've conceded 43 already in 19 games. They're pretty much halfway to the worst ever defensive record in the Premier League. And you think, you know, uh, Darnell Fernlong, <laughs> Kyle Barley, they've got some players who were perfectly good in the Football League, but this, this is a completely different level. And so then they, they haven't managed to make that step. And I think it's a really, really, really worrying thing. And I think also for Allardyce coming in during COVID, as James was saying before, it's actually been a disadvantage because he hasn't had the chance to meet the players in a group, he was talking in a meeting with a local paper last week. He has to have three separate meetings every time he wants to say something to the players. Uh, they can't actually train together in a big group on the pitch. So I think in terms of coming in and establishing your own identity, there's absolutely no chance to do that because he, he spread so thinly. 
It's interesting with Allardyce as well. I, I found it I found it quite funny the fact that he took the job, fully knowing the circumstances he was walking into with COVID as well as the league position, and then complained a week later that the that the league should finish for a little bit because he didn't want to die because of catching COVID. So it was a typical um typical Allardyce um bravado as well uh, with 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 that statement. But um yeah, he, he's certainly a character and I think the fact that 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 West Brom team hasn't probably properly been um, subject to, to the full extent of his, his character is probably going to work against them. I know uh, James, you mentioned um, you mentioned some of the the other teams in and around the area. It saddens me that Newcastle United have been dragged into that that race, kicking and screaming, um, mainly due to the fact that there is a manager there that is completely incompetent at the job that he's doing and, and shouldn't be in that job. But that's a discussion for another time in another place. Gaza, who do you think? Uh, who do you think is going to be relegated this season? Think about this a lot, and I've been watching loads of match of the days and looking at all the tables all the time and see how it constantly changes. And I think Sheffield United have gone as, although they are a team quite close to my heart because they are South Yorkshire. Um, and I do really like Chris Wilder and I do think the style of football that they play is a lot better than the, the other teams in the relegation zone. But I think Sheffield United, we can all agree that they are probably gone. Um, and then West Brom, I say, are going to go as well. And then that leaves one of, personally for me, Fulham, Brighton or Burnley I think Graham Potter has got a very clear sense of what he wants to play and they've got some you know more pay and Trossard if they perform they've got Ben White in the midfield and then Lamptey as well they are all good players who can carry a team and that goal that they scored at the weekend was that tiki-taka football starting off from the defence and going forward was you know pretty incredible for a team like Brighton you wouldn't expect them to play that so I do think Brighton will avoid it I think Scott Parker is a very talented manager, but perhaps the plays he has at Fulham, apart from uh, Cordova, Reed, and Luckman, I can't really see anyone else. I think Loftus Cheek is you know past his best. I don't expect to see much from Loftus Cheek in the future, but you know I could eat my words potentially. I have done that before, um, so I think Fulham will go down, and I think Burnley's defensive structure and Sean Dyche will carry them to safety yet again. Well, at the start of the season, I was saying that Burnley were going to be relegated because I've had enough of them in the Premier League. I think they're just far too predictable. We look at the front line of Chris Wood, Ashley Barnes, Matej Vidra. Okay, I think Jay Rodriguez provides a bit of a spark, some magic, some lower-level razzmatazz. But honestly, I think they have such a monolithic Burnley way that they don't escape from, and I think it makes them incredibly predictable and somehow in, in their second season back in the Premier League they, they finished seventh and it, it obviously has its day and it does work for, for getting up the pitch incredibly quickly but I, I just think trying to combat your way through every single team probably isn't the best tactic and then you mentioned Brighton I think they're going about things the right way I don't know if Potter will have a lot more time you know they did sack uh, Hewton after a couple of 15th, 16th place finishes. But I think if they stick with that philosophy, eventually they could finish higher up the table. So, yeah, I'm going to say Burnley, as much as it saddens my uh, Lancashire heart. I, I, I've got a bone to pick with you, Luke, because you, you're complaining that 
you're complaining that Burnley are too predictable. And yet when we were chatting the other day, you have a gripe about the top of the table in that it's not predictable enough. <laughs> so what's that all about? Well, they're completely different issues. And maybe this brings us on to talking about the top of the table because I've heard so many people on social media saying, oh, isn't it so exciting to see nine teams who were all in with a chance of finishing in the top three is it really, do we not need some sort of enforced communism on the Premier League table where you can delight in Leicester City winning the Premier League because it's completely unexpected, because it, it doesn't happen. If we just have any old teams, if we have Aston Villa finishing fourth, if we have Southampton finishing second, you know, what does that say about a bit of structure to the Premier League? We need to have the top teams to make the uprisings more exciting, in my opinion. Gaza, you look slightly agitated. I just, I what separates a top team from a team like Southampton is clear with Hassan Hutal that he's, you know, incredibly talented manager, and I personally go out and say he's top five in the Prem. And that win over Liverpool has shown that Southampton have the players. They might not have the money or the recognised names, but people like Che Adams, Ings. Uh, Vestergaard, they're all incredible players who seem to be doing the job. So how can you say that we should have all these top teams who are always there, always winning it, always second and third, but then say teams like Southampton are not a top team uh, and completely ignore that they have some really good players and a really talented manager? I think with Southampton, they, they are traditionally a big club. You know, they should be looking to finish between seventh and 10th every season. So I'm perfectly happy for them to do really well. But, I mean, especially as a partisan Liverpool fan, we can't be having all these smaller teams rising up the table. You know, there needs to be room for, for Liverpool and United. Imagine if Liverpool and United were playing 10th against 13th in the league. It wouldn't be as exciting as a top-of-the-table clash. There's a shrug from James Reid. Well, I think it doesn't, it doesn't matter where, you know, if Liverpool and Man United are 10th and 13th, it's because that's how good they are. You know, football's a... As much as you know, on the pitch, it's a meritocracy as much as as much as anything. And I think, yeah, your uh, your skin in the game as a Liverpool fan is uh, is shining through there and wanting to create a close shop of you know sort of this European Super League esque uh, argument where only certain clubs are allowed to finish in the top in the top six. I think it's been refreshing to have the likes of Leicester. Uh, obviously, Wolves aren't having a great season this season, but in previous years. Um, Wolves also sort of breaking into the to the the so-called top six in a more sustainable way. I think in the in sort of the past ten years, we've had the odd club finish fifth. West Ham in that Piat season, Southampton did it before Liverpool sort of um, ransacked them. Uh, Newcastle Burnley. did it. Yeah, yeah. I have to get that mention in. Sorry, other because yeah, there's, 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 no, jo there's yeah. no joy at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Leeds did it in uh, sort of the early 2000s, but it was all quite unsustainable. You know, they they rose with a particular squad uh, or a particular manager or a bit of money in Leeds' case that uh, didn't actually exist. Um, and then it all sort of fell apart, whereas Leicester seem to be doing it in a much more sustainable way. They've got, mm. um, you know, a very, a sort of a young, fair, still fairly young, talented manager. They're not absolutely breaking the bank. They're sort of making clever signings for sort of reasonable fees. Um, and they're doing it by playing good football. And I think if that's, you know, challenging sort of the, the dominance of this so-called top six, particularly Arsenal have sort of completely fallen away, 
it should be refreshing for Premier League football. I think the Premier League for many years has been sort of, you know, pandering to the, the big clubs and only certain clubs can ever win the Premier League. And, if, you know, if that's something that's going to change for the long term, then it's got to be, you know, you look back to the 80s, 70s, where any club could, in theory, win it. And it, surely that's a much more refreshing game. No, because we delight in the, the quality of the top teams. Wasn't last season so incredible when Liverpool and Man City were toe-to-toe, completely inaccessible, and all the neutrals could tune in to, to match of the day and, and see Mo Salah dribble past five hapless players and think, well, this is just incredible stuff. And you wouldn't have the, the same rivalries sown at the top of the table. There would be no Wenger versus Alex Ferguson because Wenger would finish 16th and Ferguson would finish 11th. Maybe we're dwelling too much on this topic. Let's turn our attention to who do we actually think is going to win the Premier League then? We've got this diversity of top performing teams. Josh, do you want to come in? Who's your prediction? It is is such an utterly unpredictable season. um, And I'd be very hesitant to, to go with one club or the other. But I despise fence sitters. So I'm going to have to take a side. Um, I would honestly absolutely love Leicester City to do it again, but I just don't think they're consistent enough at, at this moment in time. But as um, as as James was saying, that they're building a squad, doing it really. Close. The top of the league the the other night was was fantastic, but I think we're going to start to see Manchester City kind of pull away from the rest of the pack. I think the talent that they've got is really starting to shine through. Um, Liverpool have obviously had a lot of injury issues this year um, and they've lacked consistency so it's really whatever team can can pull out these consistent performances and I think Manchester City is starting to do that whether or not that starts to kind of fall back a little bit once the European football starts again remains to be seen but I can't look past Manchester City at this moment in time yeah it's difficult to look beyond City really I still think it's between City and Liverpool um they are by far the two strongest squads, probably the two best managers in the league. I think, you know, Liverpool are still about, with if if they win their game in hand against Burnley, they're still only three points off, off the top. Obviously, there's a lot of games in hand going on at the minute, so it's kind of difficult to get any true sense of position. But they're still very much in the mix, despite sort of seeming in a sort of mini crisis. Um, and I think that says a lot, really, about just how strong they are. Obviously, we're comparing them against last season, where... They were so good. And so I think it's difficult to get carried away with them not being as good because they're coming down from a very, very high level. Um, Diego Jota will be coming back. Uh, Joe Gomez coming back. Uh, Naby Keita, if he actually decides to be a good footballer again, um, <laughs> sort of show the potential that he once had at, at, at Leipzig. Um then I think they're, you know, I think then you have to see it's a completely different side. You, you know, as soon as you can move Fabinho into the midfield and push Thiago on a little bit, then I think, you know, we're going to see just how good, I mean, Thiago is. I mean, he's an absolutely ridiculous player already. I mean, he's just far, far better than anybody else on the pitch that he's been with so far. Um, you know, I think United are pretenders to the throne at the minute. You know, I, I don't think they're, I don't think they won't, they don't have a chance of winning the league. I think that's sort of silly to rule them out. But I think, you know, an injury to Fernandez, Rashford, um, or sort of a sudden dip, dip in form, which hasn't been, you know, we've seen that from United before, uh, then they will be in trouble. But at the minute, you can't, you'd be foolish to bet against them, unfortunately. 
Yeah, it's interesting what you said about Thiago, because I think even though that Liverpool's got quite a makeshift squad at the moment, and there's been a lot of controversy of people saying that you know they don't think they're good enough, but if you compare, you know, the stats of Fernandez and Thiago in the Liverpool United game, Thiago eighty-three out of ninety-six passes completed, one hundred twenty-one touches, and the most chances created with a total of two. He absolutely bossed the game. Fernandez had a sixty-six percent passing rate, uh, completion rate. So it's very clear that even though United are up there, they've had quite an easy run of games to some extent. And then when they come against the you know title challenges, uh, they set up defensively against Man City and forced a nil-nil uh, draw. They set up defensively against Liverpool and forced a nil-nil draw. That's not title-winning form. I. I would say that instead of Liverpool and City, I mean, I must state for the record, I am a Man City fan, so I am biased to some extent. I'd say it's between City and Leicester because Leicester's squad, as everyone has already mentioned, is pretty incredible at the moment. And they've got a lot of diversity of talent and they've got a lot of young players coming in who can all do a job. They play very creative football. They haven't just got these slow centre-backs. They've got Evans and they've got Fafana as well. They've got Justin they're all looking really good, talented players who I seriously think could make a title challenge. But obviously, you can't look past City. And, you know, if I were to put money on it, I would have to put money on City. Gazza, I thought yeah. you were a Liverpool fan the whole time I've known you. Uh, you you've seen me in the Man City shirt. I'm quite... This quite, is, this is no. a betrayal. This is like a Game of Thrones-style plot twist, this is. <laughs> I'm glad it came out on the podcast. I'm glad uh, you finally realised my allegiance is not to uh, the Scousers, but to the, the Mancunians. I can't... I, I don't know. Something. I must have got you mixed up with someone who supports a better football team. Um, I, I do Ooh, agree yeah. that I think Leicester and City are looking really strong. I think Liverpool's blip is in part down to the injuries they've had. And we're looking at long-term injuries, apart from Matip at the back, Gomez and Van Dijk. They may not be back until everyone's on the summer holidays. So I, I personally think we should invest. We have looked at David Alaba and since said, we're not really going to challenge him. And, you know, it looks like Real Madrid are going to swoop in. But I think we should be pulling out all the stops to try and get somebody like him. Because, um, well, I don't think there's really any drawbacks to him. He's in his prime and... Six months left on his contract. United, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Paul Pogba has improved dramatically recently. And I've always had an issue with him because people have a go at Graeme Souness for taking a dig at Pogba pretty much every waking minute of his life. But I do think it's often justified that when there's a counter-attack against Man United, Pogba isn't even on the screen. I don't think his defensive work is particularly good, but I think he has improved dramatic few games at the end of the season would they be able to uh, pull through yeah josh you said you don't like people to sit on the fence so i'm gonna sit on the fence and say i don't know do you have anything to say of course of course you would of course you would i just want to give a really quick honorable mention before we move on from this little fumble through uh football uh i want to give an honorable mention to the newport county goalkeeper tom king who scored a goal kick against cheltenham the other night 105 yards, which makes it the Guinness World Record for the longest goal in a competitive football match. So, yeah, Tom King, if you're listening, shout out to you and your stupendously long goal. We, had, we, we actually had him on loan at Stevenage for uh, half a season, uh, but he never pulled out anything like that, unfortunately. Yeah, what uh, bizarre stories have we seen in the news this week? 
Well, I don't know if anyone else has seen this, but uh, last night in the City versus Aston Villa game, there's a rather controversial offside decision given. And uh, I don't know if anyone's heard what Dean Smith said in the post-match interview about what John Moss, uh, John Moss's decision. But he asked him if he got any juggling balls for Christmas, implying that he was a uh, clown for the uh, refereeing decision that he made. You see, I've missed that. I've missed ranting press conferences. Everyone's far too careful with their words now. I remember earlier this season, uh, Newcastle versus Spurs, where Newcastle got a really dubious handball penalty in the 97th minute and drew 1-1. And um, Mourinho just refused to say anything about the officials of, of in the match. He said, I'm going to give money to charity. I'm not giving money to the FA. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> so I actually, I like that, that Dean Smith's blowing his top a little bit. Um, it reminds people that that these these footballers and these, these managers are human and they've got human emotions um, because everything's a little bit robotic now, especially the fact that the current situation um, it, like, the rules state that he wasn't offside. Sorry, that he was offside. Uh, no, wasn't offside. I'm uh, right. Move on. This is far too confusing. <laughs> Luke, you had your hand up. Yeah, if you if you're going to talk about um, press conferences, and I think you used the term very human emotions, then what better than this that came out recently? I don't know if the name Jim Gannon means anything to anyone, but um, he he managed Stockport County in the late 2000s and did not give an interview for approximately nine months with Sky Sports because nobody had come to fix his Skybox. <laughs> and so he refused. <laughs> and they, they actually reached the playoffs. And by then, you know, they were on TV and they were obliged to give an interview. He had to go on. And it is rumoured that shortly after he did receive his Skybox, so there's a lot of tension going on there. Yeah, I, I presume he's a happy customer now. That is uh, properly non-league uh, stuff, which we love to see. Uh, I suppose, finally, a shout-out to uh, Athletic Bilbao uh, for not only beating Barcelona, uh, but for uh, the, the, the celebrations afterwards, which involved uh, one of the goal scorers uh, playing the trumpet, um, a lot of Basque flags going on, uh, he also, the same player, uh, Asia Villalibre, also managed to get Messi sent off. It looked like he sort of gave him a bit of a whisper in the ear or some sort of a bit of a tangle, and then Messi just slapped him in the back of the head, uh, which I like to see. So I like to see that sort of riling someone up as much as I love Messi as a player. First Barcelona red card in 700-odd games. Uh, the trumpet out on the pitch. I like to think that they sort of brought the trumpet before the game, sort of with the plan of, you know, it's not the kind of thing you just have. Um and apparently they've had to cancel. Um, they usually have sort of um, celebrations in Bilbao, which involve um, various sort of forms of transport uh, parading through uh, the city. Apparently they've obviously been put on hold, but um, you know, it was always good to see Bilbao do well with obviously the, the player transfer policy they have uh, to even really be like competing for those kind of trophies is incredible, but uh, the celebrations were even better. I like to think I like to think the opposite about the the trumpet, and they had to scramble for it after the match. Look, has anyone got a trumpet? Anyone got a trumpet? <laughs> I wonder if anyone played any trumpets when Mark Wright was subbed on for Crawley, because of course he signed recently. Um, and I suppose that raises a question: then, what reality stars would we all have in our football team? Who would you play trumpets for? 
Well, to be honest, any of the reality TV uh, stars could do a better job either managing or playing for Newcastle United at the moment. Um, I would like to see I would like to see Kim Kardashian up front with Andy Carroll. I reckon that would be a formidable partnership. Um, because uh, you know he's got the the luscious locks as well, so I reckon there could be like that, like that poster strike partnership. You know, like like Sturridge and Suarez were, um, like everybody talking about them. I think Carol and Kardashian uh, would be a fantastic, fantastic strike partnership. I went slightly less um, left field. Um, I went for Lewis Hamilton purely because for the local link, he's a local Stevenage lad. I feel like he'd be fairly fit, you know, from uh, from the F1. You have to be fairly thing, but. Uh, apparently, he, he used to play in the same school side as Ashley Young. Okay. So I feel like, you know, there's a bit of a, you know, maybe if Ashley Young returns from Inter uh, and wants to sort of see out his career uh, closer to home, then we could sort, you know, we could sort Ashley Young out on the left, Lewis on the right. Uh, Ashley Young's brother also plays uh, League Two football for Crawley. You might still be at Crawley, Lewis Young. So we can sort of make it a Stevenage, a bit of a Stevenage get together. I feel like Lewis Hamilton would be, a, you know, sort of a, a year off from F1. We could sort of a significant reduction in wages, but I feel like he'd do a job for us. <laughs> Does he count as a reality star, though, Lewis Hamilton? I don't know whether we your can accept notes were, your initial notes some scripted soap. Your initial notes were celebrity, not reality star, Luke. So, oh, uh, oh, okay, fair enough. There we go. There we go. And. Uh, Gaza, I suppose, you know, you challenge authority as much as Reedy if you want. Who have you gone for? I went for a celebrity, arguably a celebrity. I would say that they're a celebrity. Well, City have had a striker problem. Gabriel Jesus is just not cutting it. He's a bit too selfish. So I thought we could get a man of the people, uh, the most uh, election votes ever received. So I would like to bring in Joe Biden as Manchester City's new star striker. Lacking a little bit of pace, though, isn't he, Gaza? I just think we've got pacey wingers that can just whip a ball in. And he's kind of like a, I don't know if anyone's familiar with John Parkin. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Joe Biden's more like a John Parkin figure. You whip the ball in, Joe Biden gets his bounce on it straight into the top corner. He is a big football fan, though. He's a big, or soccer, as they call it over there. Big Philadelphia uh, fan. Yeah, so, well. He could do a job. We can, yeah, we can convert him to a city uh, fan. Apparently, Baron Trump is a bit of a, a player as well. Is he? Yeah, apparently oh. he's uh, apparently he's played for DC United's youth academy a bit. So uh, maybe there's a bit of a thing going on at the White House at the minute. Maybe they're just funneling funds into DC United's. Yeah, <laughs> that would be a story, wouldn't it? Well, that was enlightening, wasn't it? Um, I would really like to see uh, Baron Trump crossing the ball in for uh, Joe Biden to nod home for Manchester City. Um, but we've got we've got another team that we'd like to focus on, and a team um, that. I don't know if many of our listeners are, are actually uh, familiar with uh, this. This section is called checking in. Um, and after much deliberation, an intensive amount of planning that involved simply just thinking up the pun for the name of the section. Uh, we're now moving on to our adopted club at Gontuvar, which is FC Aparva, which is a team rooted at the bottom of the Czech first league. Uh, they are now our adopted team. We are now cheering them on all the way from the United Kingdom. We are their UK Ultras group. Um, and Luke is the, is the head of that Ultras group. Um, Luke, what, what do you know about FC Aparva? Why should our listeners love FC Aparva? If it's any relevance at all, one of their goalkeepers has the same first name 
is a guy that I worked in a warehouse with in the summer. Um, <laughs> so I think that that's a particularly pertinent point. Um, but they're just they're the perennial struggles, aren't they? They came up in 2018, haven't done very well. They've only won one game all season. Yeah, their manager, Radoslav Kovac, actually played just over 60 times for West Ham. I'll pass on to the other boys. I don't know what, what you've picked up about them. Um, they're having a real problem with their players. So I translated. I went out of my way to translate one of uh, a Czech article on Google Translate. So I, I got the gist of it. Uh, they basically brought in six newcomers. And over their past few games, they've brought in a minimum of six debutants to put in their team to try and see if it could make any difference. Obviously, as we've discussed, it is making no difference. Um, I found another article about them. I'm not sure if this will actually make it in. But um, basically, back in October, uh, a group of their hooligans went out to protest against COVID-19 and called it all a hoax. So that's just uh, interesting. Brilliant. We might have to rethink our um, our support of FC Apartha. <laughs> actually, we should, yeah, I... because... Um... On the club website, if you translate that as well, they've also released a statement recently saying, and it's very vague, but that denying some press um, speculation that they haven't been interfering in the political affairs of the city. And that's pretty much all it says. <laughs> this it unravels says- and unravels more and more as we look <laughs> into this club. As I said in the introduction to the section, this club was chosen purely for the pun of the section, checking in. Um had we known how many issues this club has politically. Um, actually, no, perhaps this makes it an even more interesting club to, to follow over, over the rest of the season. Um, and with names like Patrick Hellebrand, Bojan Dordic and Dalibor Vecherka, who could forget a team like that? Their recent result against Sparta Prague is also notable. That happened uh, last night. Uh, 3-0 lost. Uh, I would say drumming, but it included a one-on goal, a three-minute uh goal that they conceded and then one in the 90th minute so they conceded you know very early on and very late on so incredible so they're good for 80 odd minutes of the game so you know Hmm. there's positives that we can take out of this Uh, they've won one game this season already so you know things can get better you know they are the the sheffield united of the czech republic um i don't know if that's perhaps libelous given all of their um (laughs) political um intrigues allegedly um i don't know how sheffield united fans would take to us comparing them to uh to a parva but yeah um reedy why should people why should people love a parva well i actually uh got thought about you know sort of the i thought a little bit wider than just um fc parva and just had a look at sort of you know czech football in general and i went down you know i like a bit of nostalgia uh, so i had a look at sort of the the greatest czechs to grace these shores as to sort of, you know, if anyone's had, you know, got any connection to any former great Czechs, uh, obviously uh, Petr Czech is obviously the, the most prominent, you know, the most successful Czech to make it over to uh, to, to, to England. But, you know, the likes of Patrick Berger, uh, Milan Barosh, uh, for any Liverpool fans out there, uh, Grace does with his presence uh, for a few years and very minimal goals. Uh, obviously, Karel Paborski as well. Uh, so you know there are there are they've got a football they're a football nation with a bit of pedigree not quite as good at the minute. Uh, no one really of note apart from the only three Czechs currently playing in the Premier League. Although Tomas uh, Suchek, everyone's favourite fantasy football asset at the minute, 
a sort of a goal scoring central defence midfielder, if ever there was such a thing. Uh, the Czech FA have also been in the news quite recently uh, today when they've denied that Ronaldo, who's broken the world record for most goals scored, uh, they've claimed that his 760 goals does not compare to Joseph Baikan because they found an extra 64 goals for Joseph Baikan and added that to his tally. So now Ronaldo needs to score even more to overtake him. So they've clearly just dug up footage of Joseph Baikan scoring against his granddad at a Christmas party and then rolled that out and now the world record's changed. This is, this is like the Pele situation all over again, isn't it? With Santos claiming that he scored more goals. Pele, I think, counts the goal that he scored in that movie, The Escape to Victory, as was one of his um, as one of his official goal tallies. <laughs> it sounds very much it sounds very much Trumpian as well, doesn't it? Like, oh, we found all of these goals that should actually count. Go and count them now that this guy's passed you. Um, my favorite Czech footballer was Juracek, just because um the commentators, when they said it, it was just funny because they just told him that he was his nationality every time he was on the ball. <laughs> That's a pretty good one, Josh. I like that. Um, yeah, I guess Ronaldo's just going to have to play against his granddad at Christmas more and more and more <laughs> until he has enough goals. Um, and once he's done that, he might be kind enough to go on the Apava uh, Club website and buy a Christmas sweater for just over £37 in Apava Club colours. Which are yellow and blue. Nice, nice colour combination. Yeah, yellow and blue. So if any of the listeners have suddenly forgot that they didn't buy their uncle a Christmas present, you know what you can get him. Is it time to move on to Two Truths and a Lie? The creatively invented game. I think it is. I think it absolutely is is time. Yeah, listeners will be familiar with this. Basically, I have uh, come up with two things that are true and two things that are a lie. And uh, these lucky boys are going to be guessing... Uh, it's a dog-eat-dog world so basically you buzz in we're looking for which one is false Tranmere Rovers run an elite network of football academies in rural China is number one James Milner's first ever job was at Starbucks but he got released after one shift after spilling coffee all over the cash register costing them £1,700 and in 1990, Hiram Veen came 16th in the uh, Dutch second division and got promoted. I'm drawn to the Milner one. Was Starbucks around in the UK in like 2003, 2004? Because, I mean, you know, I was obviously only, I was only a young, a young boy at that age. But what, you know, when was the first first Starbucks around? And would you know? Because Milner, he was sort of he surely would have had a he would have been on the YTS or on you know in an academy. Why would he have got a job? I, I, I'm going to agree. I, I'm going to agree with you. Why why would Milner have had a job in Starbucks? I don't think Starbucks had any chains in England in the early two thousands. I know they they were a they were a big company in the early two thousands. There's a joke about them in uh, one of the. Austin Powers films about them being an evil corporation, uh, <laughs> but but yeah, I I, no, I can't see Milner working in a Starbucks, even if it is true. <laughs> he would be very proficient though. You'd get your coffee on time, and it would always be good. Considering he's like one of the youngest ever scorers in the Premier League, like sixteen years old, I can't. I just can't see. I can't see it. That's exactly why I don't think it's. Uh, I think James Milner is a lie. He's he's too competent. 
He's too much of a handyman. He fills in anywhere. He'd be covering your shifts. He wouldn't be spilling coffee on the cash register. That's just completely not his vibe at all. Yeah, I think we're in agreement there. Just in isolation and out of context, I'd love to clip that bit where James says, I think James Milner is a lie. (laughs) (laughs) This doesn't exist. I should have picked a latecomer to the party like Jamie Vardy or something like that, but as far as I know, you didn't. Um, yeah, Heerenveen came 16th and got promoted because in the Dutch second division, you qualify for the playoffs if you have the best run of form in one quarter of the season. So I think they must have had like a really good part of the season and that got them in the playoffs and then um, they won. Um, and yeah, Tranmere do have an elite award-winning network of academies in China, which I, I find fascinating. Um, Josh, would you like to see us out of the show? You, you've no. got some parting words, I believe, as well. I would, I would in, indeed. Uh, and it's been a fantastic show. It's really, really good to be back. And I hope you've enjoyed listening to us as much as, as we've enjoyed um, spouting a whole load of rubbish at sometimes. Uh, <laughs> I'm speaking for myself, maybe. Um, but you might have noticed that one of our one of our presenters, AB, has moved on to bigger and better things. He sent us a little thank you note as AB, um, and I'm going to read it out. With it's it's very typically AB, very much flareful, fanciful, beautiful language. He starts. What unites a Mike Ashley board meeting and the comments section of the Mail Online? Only the behind the scenes action have gone too far. My time on the show may have been limited to a year, but like Yossi Benayoun's time at Arsenal, was a one filled with excitement and questionable overgrown hair. I have little doubt that this year, under the guidance of Luke Power to the Press and Josh Steve Bruce's My Hero Nickel, the podcast will continue to prosper. Thank you, AB, for your beautiful words and for your for your thoughts for this podcast. And we wish you all the best in the future and, and more more FA Cup finals in the future for you, uh, whether writing about them or playing in them. We, we don't know what ha- what happens. Uh, stranger things have happened. Yeah, but thank you guys for, for joining us uh, today. It's been a fascinating episode. We've, we've uh, covered quite a lot of topics and um, who'd have thought that, that I'd have had an image of Baron Trump playing football with Joe Biden when we started the show. <laughs> Luke, do you, want to, do you want to see us out? Yeah, I will very quickly say, yeah. AB, what a tribute, you know, a wonderful man. He loved his Peruvian third division football and all manner of wacky things that no one else knew about, but we all strive to know about so we could talk about it with him. And uh, thank you to the listener for tuning in to what has been quite a laggy episode. We probably talked over each other a few times. Hopefully it's sounded a bit smoother than that. Um, I'm currently um, in my parents' bedroom where the Wi-Fi is a bit better than my own bedroom. And hopefully you'll join us next time for even more footballing delights. And so I bid you Godspeed, everybody. Purple Radio Podcasts. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio Podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.